a really human level, like when there's something that people are uneasy talking about, they often think that they're the only ones going through it. But in fact, like the human experience is only so big, like it really means that there are a ton of people experiencing it. And when there's a problem that's that big, there's so much potential to help people. Welcome to the IDOU Creative Confidence Podcast, a series focused on building your confidence at work to tackle your biggest creative challenges. Join us as we learn insights and lessons straight from IDEO and today's most impact-oriented design thinking leaders. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Creative Confidence Podcast. I'm Suzanne Gibbs-Howard, founder of IDEOU, and I am excited that you're here with us today. I always have a conversation with special guests on creativity, leadership, innovation, and growth. And we have a great conversation for today. We are going to be talking about areas that sometimes are thought of as so-called taboos. They're areas where needs are unspoken or difficult to discuss. And so these make them tricky areas for innovation. We'll be having that conversation with Carrie O'Connor, who is my special guest today. She is one of the instructors of our Designing a Business course. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. And um, Carrie and I are going to talk about why these areas often get overlooked, what opportunities they hold for design and innovation, and then especially how you can proceed with understanding these areas and creating a business that can really do some good in the world and have some success out in the marketplace. Tiny bit about Carrie before we dive in. Carrie is an entrepreneur, a design practitioner, and a startup advisor. She's launched multiple new ventures, some of them in the U.S. and some of them in Asian markets. She also teaches a graduate-level course at Stanford's Design School. And in the last few years, she's gone particularly deep in the space of healthcare, especially women's health needs. And this is where she's gotten interested in designing for unspoken needs. So Carrie, I thought we'd dive right in by talking about when I say taboo spaces and and spaces that are tricky to talk about openly, what's the range of areas that come up for you? Yeah, I I think the range is quite large and mostly they're things that all of us have experience with. So things like uh, your sexual organs, right? And what happens to them and what you do with them. Um, Things like human waste and the body parts that go along with that. Um, Actual trash and waste from your household. Uh, Then on the sort of tougher side, things like addiction, uh, mental health, and even something as ubiquitous as money. Like if you think about how unwilling people are to talk about how much money they earn, like that is also something where there's so much um, sort of social norms around not talking about that. So it's a really broad range of things that fall into this category of, of what is unspoken. Yeah, definitely. And if any of you kind of felt your body just... <clears throat> like clinch up or move back at the very mention of some of these topics. That is precisely why they're such tricky areas to bring about great design and great innovation. But Carrie, how did you, how did you get interested in design in this space? (laughs) Well, uh, you know, um, I mean, I studied anthropology, um, loved sort of understanding people and really, um, even if you talk to psychologists, there's this idea that, um, 
on a really human level, like when there's something that people are uneasy talking about, they often think that they're the only ones going through it. But in fact, like the human experience is only so big. Like it really means that there are a ton of people experiencing it. And when there's a problem that's that big, there's so much potential um, to help people with things that are so important to them that are really affecting their lives and, and to have a kind of large impact there. And with that, it also means that there's a huge business opportunity. So my sort of business brain gets really excited at, you know, when you're solving a, a, a deep need, like people are so hungry for that in their lives. So that means there's real potential for a for-profit business. Yeah, yeah, so true. So I know today we wanted to get into this topic. We love tangible examples, and you have an amazing one to share, which is a company, Materna Medical, that you have been a part of off and on for a decade. And so I wonder if you could just share with us a little bit about what has Materna Medica Medical become today? Mm -hmm. Yes. So um, I was super fortunate to be part of this company for a a good portion of my career. Um, So Materna Medical is a really novel OB-GYN or obstetrics um, gynecology platform. Um, And it's working in a $6 billion market in the most common pelvic floor conditions that women face. So to make that a little bit more concrete, um, Materna's first product is Millie, which is um, a revolutionary expanding vaginal dilator. Um, it received FDA clearance in 2021 um, and is, is there to treat the symptoms of overactive pelvic floor disorders called vaginismus. And what that, ha- what that creates is um, painful sex. So that's the that's one product. The second product, PrEP, um, is a clinical stage device, and that aims at reducing p- pelvic floor injuries during childbirth. And what's really wonderful is that um, in the pilot study, the, the PrEP has already reduced pelvic floor injuries by 60%. So it's, uh, it's wonderful to see these products coming to life that are really helping women. Yeah, uh, incredible, and I think we can imagine, like in the in this discussion, there's this attraction and 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 like retraction from these topics all at the same time that they're so important. They're things that so many women deal with, and yet at the same time, tricky and painful to talk about. Um, I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about how you got started in the specific work that ultimately became Materna Medical. Yes, yes. Oh my gosh. Well, I was very fortunate to be part of this biodesign course at Stanford. Um, and what that course does is it starts with a clinical need. And what they presented to us was that about uh, 90% of women tear the first time that they deliver a child. And Uh, I was horrified (laughs) by that idea that not only do you have a newborn to care for, but now you have this trauma to your body and you have to recover with a wound. It just um, seemed really sort of viscerally wrong to me that we were all just sort of standing by and letting that happen and just being like, oh, well, that's part of the process. Uh, So (laughs) um, the way that the course worked at the time It was sort of like a science fair, and you would research the topic, and anything that affects 90% of women, like, is a massive market. So based on that science fair and sort of the pitch I was able to do, uh, was able to gather a team of people around it. 
And in the biodesign class, it's focused on creating a medical device. And we sort of had this glimmer of hope that a device would be able to help because when you see that more than 90% of women will tear the first time they deliver a baby, those rates drop dramatically to about 60% the second time, which tells you that there's something to stretching that tissue, which meant that there could be a solution in there. And so we started working on it, and it was really exciting. But then um, it was the same time that I sort of stumbled into this world of design and design thinking, and I got dazzled by that. So I I went and um, took that full-time job at IDEO, and thankfully uh, my classmate at the time and co-founder went on to keep working on Materna. Wow. And so then now fast forward for us, like, six, seven, eight years down the road. Your colleague kept working on it. Then what happened? How did you get re-involved again? Well, um, so my colleague is a biomedical engineer, and um, he and another engineer were very focused on getting the device to work. Um, If you think about your pelvic floor muscles, that is what holds all of the organs inside your body. They are very tight. And so figuring out how to safely and predictably stretch that tissue um, was quite the difficult uh, engineering challenge. Um, But as they were working on that childbirth device, what they realized was that there was an opportunity to use that same knowledge and technology to stretch women's vaginas gently outside of the hospital environment. So um, it became clear that there was an opportunity that a lot of women have this pelvic pain, and the therapy for them is to, to do dilation, you know, a few times a week. And so the idea of creating a an expanding dilator where you only have to insert it once and you can gently stretch the tissue depending on how you feel felt like a really large opportunity. So I came in and brought all of my design thinking to be able to think about, you know, who are who's our audience here, right? What what would make them feel safe and interested in this product? So uh, I got to do all of the sort of fun design thinking parts and my fabulous colleagues did all of the difficult part of figuring out what is inside the product. Yeah, wow, so interesting. And I know you and I have discussed a little bit about this, like the challenges that we have with getting funding to businesses for women's health and why that's a massive business opportunity. Can you share a little bit about what you've seen there in your work in women's health? Yes. So I think um, I think the world is waking up to women's health as an opportunity, right? When half the population has a certain body type, <laughs> you know, and, and um, for better or for worse, goes through a really sort of clear set of experiences in their lifetime, it is a massive opportunity. And yet we know that about 96% of venture capitalists are male. And I know that when we were doing fundraising early and we talked about this, you know, expanding dilator, some of the reactions we got were like, is that necessary? Like, this seems like a nice to have, right? So it's just sort of the, the limits of our abilities as human beings to empathize with and to try to understand what it means to be in a different body. Like, that is so hard to do. But now, you know, more women are getting into venture capital, more people are understanding either through partnership or through, you know, just sort of seeing the number of companies that are coming up in this space, what a magnificent opportunity it is to both make money and help women have their bodies work better. So it is really exciting to see this space coming alive. 
Yeah, that's the whole point of today is to we we will talk specifically about this one. And then our our goal is to get to the end of the conversation and talk about some generalizable principles that you can use for other areas that have this dynamic in them. <clears throat> so one more thing before we dive into materna medical even deeper. Carrie, there's a framework that you use when you teach the Designing a Business course that's just super helpful. I use it all the time to logically move through the steps of designing a new venture. Can you just introduce that to us? Sure, sure. Uh, so obviously, as a business designer at IDEO I, uh, and now like out in the world, deeply believe that you can design a business and a business model just the way you would design a product or a service. So the sort of three um, parts that we think about are uh, to create value, to capture value, and then to deliver value. So by creating value, that is understanding needs um, and, and figuring out like what what is the value proposition that you can offer. Capturing value is about designing your revenue model and understanding the pricing that you can, like the price you can charge folks. And then delivering value is about how do you bridge that gap between you having something wonderful to offer and where people are? So what are the channels um, where you find the audience that you're selling to? Nice. All right, great. So we're going to leverage that to, to think about Materna Medical and talk about some of the wise moves that you made and, and tricky turns. Hey guys, we hope you're enjoying the conversation. I just wanted to tell you a bit more about IDOU. We're an online school where anyone can learn to solve problems creatively. If you're curious to go deeper into the topics of this podcast and learn more about business design, I encourage you to check out our online course, Designing a Business. You'll learn how to combine traditional business strategy with the methods and mindsets of design thinking in order to prototype key aspects of your business. Learn more about the course at idou.com slash business design. Now, let's get back to the conversation. So if we talk about creating value, so uncovering human needs, spotting great opportunities for design, for impact in the world, for business... And you're in this tricky space where it's hard to get people to open up and talk. Can you share a little bit about some of the things that you did in those early days to to help your team make progress? Yes. Well, one of the things that felt kind of clear, my co-founders, you know, who were still working on the company were men and they didn't feel like they were going to be able to approach um, our, our users who are all women and I'm also sensitive to the idea that, like, not everyone with a vagina, you know, identifies as a woman. But I'm, I'm just going to use the term woman to sort of, you know, be a blanket umbrella here. Um, so it it was clear that, you know, me coming in as a woman and being able to empathize with <laughs> just uh, just having the same body parts was a nice starting point. But I, had, I have not um, had the same you know, difficulties that the women I was talking to did. So there was definitely a gap there where I couldn't say, hey, I've gone through this too. Um, but one thing I found that really helped women was me starting to share stories that I learned from other women. So um, 
like one one woman was 27, you know, had not been able to have intercourse. And she said to me, like, a, a, a little part of me thought it was just me who was defective. And for me to be able to come to her and say, no, 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 like, I can tell you it's one in 18 women who suffers from this. People aren't talking about it, but there are so many other people who are having the same experience you are. And, and being able to... Um, you know, while I couldn't identify from my own personal experiences, but being able to build on one of her experiences with a story I heard from another woman really helped people feel like, oh, oh my God, I'm not alone. And it, based on not being alone and not being sort of like the, the weirdo, they were more willing to share what they were experiencing and what their fears were. I mean, I, I talked to a woman who you know, had gotten a divorce after about 40 years of marriage, was single, and, you know, because of this pelvic pain, was not able to have intercourse and was so afraid that she was going to spend the rest of her life alone because of it. And I said to her, you know, well, who do you talk to about it? Who in your life knows? And she was like, oh, no one knows. She's like, talking to you is the first time I've discussed this with someone. Wow. Yeah, right? And so, and that's a horrible place to be as a person. Like, that is so isolating when it's something that's happening to your body that's not your fault. Yeah. So to go forward with that depth and empathy and the ability to help people have these conversations, even that is, yeah, so powerful. So powerful. So... Wise moves early on to help people open up with sharing stories. Then as you moved forward, as you're entering the capturing value phase of your work, here this is, you know, so many things about prototyping the business model, the price, but also the product. And I know when you saw some of the earliest prototypes, you had a particular reaction. And I wonder if you can share that and then talk about what you did with as a company. Yes. yes. So I deeply love and respect my engineering colleagues. But of course, they were looking at the, the problem of how do you create an expanding vaginal dilator from an engineering perspective. And when I saw it... Um, it looked like something that would live in your garage. It did not look like something you wanted in your bedroom, which we know about like 95% of the women who use this product use it lying in bed. So it was really important um, to start to change the visual look of the device so that it would not feel intimidating, so that it would not feel like scary so that people wanted to invite it into their routine. Um, and sometimes, you know, people would say to us, like, why don't you just make it look like a penis? It's essentially trying to do the same thing. And, you know, I, I mean, many of the women I talked to had dealt with sexual trauma. And so it, be, it was very important to make this device not look masculine in any way. And then there were sort of functional details we had to think about. So again, if you think about someone lying in bed using the product, they're not going to be able to see the controls. So how do you help someone feel in control of a product when they can't really see what they're doing? Um, so it was a really, like, actually it turned into a really fun design challenge to make it functional and beautiful and discreet at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know there's more. So if it comes up that you did some really interesting things with ethically testing out this, but I want to make sure that we talk a bit about the the business model prototyping. I've always um, valued you as a design colleague because I think you're so creative about particularly pricing tests and prototyping. Can you share a little bit about what happened 
with Materna Medica, as you were figuring out, how do you put a price tag on something like this? Yes, it's such a great question. And it's such a tricky question because hopefully for everyone listening, like what you're trying to do is to create something that hasn't existed before. And so when you're creating something that you think is more valuable than what's on the market, how do you price it when you haven't quite proven yet that that value is there? So um, I think, you know, when we talk about prototypes, it starts as early as telling a story. So as we were developing the product and talking to people about what they'd need in the product, I would start to sort of flinch test people by saying like, okay, you know, what if it costs $300? What if it costs $200? What if it costs $100? And just starting to see their reactions and understanding their own mental math and what they were comparing this product to. You know, were they comparing it to an electric toothbrush? Were they comparing it to um, the years they had spent trying to find doctors to help them and the amount of money that they had spent on all kinds of alternative products? So it was it was really um, starting with the sort of lowest level prototype of talking to people. Then um, we did set a price, and someone on our team thought the price should be lower, right? And again, for everyone listening, there's a real tension of do you have it be lower price so you can reach more people, or do you really try to capture as much value as you can and know that with a higher price, you're going to lose some people, but with that difference between where you want to price it and where, you know, that that lower mass price is, you really want to keep that difference because that is meaningful to your company, And so the way that I approached that was um, we kept the price high because obviously once you lower the price, it's very hard to raise it again. Um, And what we did was we offered a $50 rebate, so the sort of difference between the higher price and the the price that someone thought, you know, was going to be the better price. We offered a $50 rebate there for someone who would take um, a survey before they started using the product and then after three months. And what we saw by doing that was about 80% of people were very happy to pay the full price and not spend their time taking the survey. So that said to us, like, okay, we're, we're pretty good at this price. It also felt like a real win-win because for the folks who did want that discount, we then were able to get data from them from those surveys that we could then publish to show the medical community the efficacy of the device. So it was a really lovely uh, way to start to prototype pricing. So creative. And for having launched new products and offers into the world, it's so tricky when you're doing something quite new to figure out how to nail price and you always want to play with things. And I love that idea of using the rebate for survey participation as a technique to, to experiment. Very cool. Very cool. So that we've talked about creating value, capturing value. And then when we talk about delivering value, this is all about bringing that product to market. It's definitely about channel, but also about everything else that goes around it to get it productively into people's hands. And so can you talk about some of the things that you you and Materna Medica did to, to sensitively deliver this, these, these devices to market? Yes, there's so, there's so much here around... Um Right, like for entrepreneurs um, and anyone who's like within a business and launching something new, how do you frame that up? How do you talk about it to your audience to make sure that they see themselves in the product? And so it was very clear um, that women who had this kind of pain were going to the medical community and looking for help. And the folks advising us on the 
design of the device and how it needed to work were a set of fantastic medical doctors and um, pelvic floor physical therapists, like people who really understood this anatomy. And whenever you hear those folks talk, they talk about patients. But what became really clear when I was talking to women is that they did not think of themselves as patients at all. Um, and the way I, I think about this is like, if if you trip and fall or if you're in some kind of accident and you tear your ACL and you need to get surgery and sort of fix your knee, you you look ahead and you're like, okay, I'm going to get surgery, I'm going to have physical therapy, then my knee's going to work and I'm going to move on with my life. And you don't really think of yourself as a patient, right? You think this mishap occurred and you are going to, with a program, get back to health. And that's how the women who were using our device felt. They didn't feel like they were part of a medical community. They felt like they were encountering this problem in their bodies. And so it became really important to us on the website and whenever we talk to people to call them women and to not call them patients. Mm. Yeah. So that language is so key. And I can imagine all of the brand, all of the tone of voice around these things. There's one other thing I want to ask about in this space of delivering to market, which is channel. And I know there were some tricky decisions to make, as there always are in an early stage venture, about how do you get this into people's hands? Do you go directly to customers or do you go through their doctors? Could you share a little bit about some of the the tips and turns that you had to take there? Yes, this is another um, sort of being a new entrant, right? How do you handle this? And you know, for anyone who like cares about and studies innovation, the place that you sell your products is such a wonderful way to be innovative and disruptive. So knowing that a lot of people were going through their healthcare practitioner to understand what was going on with their body, there was a channel where we could say, okay, let's let's go to doctors, let's go to physical therapists, and knowing that those people would be nodes in a network, right? One doctor is going to have scores of women, and we can then reach all of those women through one doctor. So that felt very sensible. And yet, right, talking to all of these women, knowing that they have had a difficult time in the healthcare system and have been searching for products. Like we we had so much organic search around the term expanding dilator because it's a pretty sensible product, right? If you need to stretch something, the idea that the product would do the stretching makes a lot of sense. So there was this very attractive idea that we could go directly to the consumer and talk to her directly and, you know, have that relationship with her where we're helping her figure out how to use this product and how to have a great experience with it and just get through this part in her life to feeling better. So the way that we handled it, because we were resource-strapped and really young as a company, is we did a little bit of both to see which would be fruitful. So we had a few, like a few um, physical, like pelvic floor physical therapists that we went to, and you know went through the um, sort of task of educating them on how to talk about the product, how to make sure they were getting good results with their 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 patients, and then doing experiments around advertising, you know, online because there is something really special about this space and where people are experiencing these things that are unspoken, that do feel like taboos. Like this is where 
the internet is wonderful. Like they will search out and they will find people who know solutions. They will dig to get to solutions. So it's an audience that was actually really hungry for our product. And so we were able to also sell directly to them and, and see how those sales sort of tracked against going through healthcare providers. And that was and that was your test then. You could kind of try both markets for X amount of time, get your data, and then figure out, okay. You'll always, in the early days of a company, have to prioritize one and then come back to the other one. Exactly. A little bit later. So, yeah, super important. And I love that. That's such a great experiment. We've gone deep on Materna Medica, but, you know, really want to think about some of the takeaways that people can use in all sorts of topics. People in the community are saying they're dealing with aging and aging relatives. They're dealing with discomfort in the workplace around certain topics. So what are some of the the takeaways that you think we can generalize out from your learnings at Materna Medica? Oh, absolutely. Yes. So you could definitely sort of abstract from here. Um, And I think one of the first lessons is about building empathy with your audience and knowing that it's not all coming from you, right? So you, you don't have to be responsible for having all of the same stories, right? Knowing that you can start to share the stories that you're hearing with your users. Being similar to your audience in some key way, like for me, it was being a woman, but you know, I, I couldn't empathize with the condition. I think having something in common where you can use that to start to build trust and build rapport is really nice. And also around building empathy, you can start to leverage the people that you've already built trust with and Ask them if they know anyone else that would be good for you to talk to. Because often with these topics that are so difficult to talk about, the folks who, you know, have gone on the internet and have sought out community, like they have trust within those communities and they can be your ambassador to help get you into those communities as well. Other things I think about when, you know, looking at this space Pricing is quite elastic in this space, so I would encourage people to do experiments. Because these problems are so deep for people, because they're not talked about, there can be a lot of sort of shame or embarrassment involved. And so they're really acute problems that people want to solve, which means you could have a a good deal more pricing power than you expect. So I would encourage people to prototype there. The third thing is... The product is one thing when you go to market, but there's a whole experience um, that you want to think about. So I talked about, you know, um, us thinking about our customers as women and not patients, really um, making sure that your offer is is only a small piece of someone's identity and understanding how it fits into their life. Um, thinking about the entire experience, not just the product, but, but how does someone use it? How can you make their experience using it even better? Um, and then really understanding how do people view this topic and how do they relate to, to this sort of sensitivity and, and using that to design the experience that you're trying to create. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Keep going. No, the, I mean, the last thing, um, again, because this is such a tricky area, you know, even, Suze, you inviting me here and me being able to, like, say the word vagina on a podcast and talk about pelvic pain and people understanding that it's one in 18 women, like, um, you know, as a company that is designing for these folks, how can you get a little bit more of a spotlight on these causes so that, you know, people 
people will not only know that your product is there and not only start to use it, but will start to feel a little bit better about the moment that they're in. Yeah, absolutely. I love that way of thinking about this, that this is a great way to do good in the world while providing products and services that that can really help people. Thank you, Carrie, for everything that you shared today. Thank you to our community for joining us in this uncomfortable space because we know there's important work to do there. We've been talking with business design and innovation on taboo topics or topics that have unspeakable needs with one of the instructors of our most popular course, Designing Business, Carrie O'Connor. If you'd like to learn more about the themes today, check out Carrie's course, Designing a Business at idou.com slash business design. Thank you so much and see you again soon. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us. If you like what you're hearing here, you can find so much more by subscribing to the Creative Confidence Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you like to listen. We're excited to keep fueling your creativity.